0: This year's Biblical Symposium of the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies will be held online Saturday, June 13, 2020. Space is limited to 100 attendees, so register today by going to EphesusSchool.org. Father William Mills, author of Losing My Religion, is the featured keynote speaker. Other presenters include the Very Reverend Dr. Paul Nadim Tarazi, Dr. Nikolai Roddy, Professor of Hebrew Bible and Old Testament at Creighton University, and Dr. Richard Benton and Father Mark Bulos of the Bible as Literature podcast. Register today by going to EphesusSchool.org. You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Boulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul introduces a new thesis, that the scriptural story's entire message is coded in the first creation account in Genesis 1-1 to 2-4. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Now this function of what I call representativeness. So Israel is just one of the nations. It doesn't matter. That function can be clearly gathered from the law and the prophets. And bear with me, I'm gonna read for you a series of texts very quickly and then I'll give you the reference and I want you to hear them because if I give you the references My experience after 60 years tell me that you're not going to do it. So I'm going to do it for you. Okay, you can fast forward, but this is your decision, not mine. Deuteronomy 9, 4 and 5. Do not say in your heart, he's addressing the Israelites. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. This is fantastic, especially when you get to hear the following book, which is Joshua, which is usually misheard by all of us. And the following verse, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. Technically, it's to inherit, but I don't want to debate that now here. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you and that he may confirm the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Deuteronomy 9.4 and you have this repeated at the beginning of Joshua. You have the bringing in of the promise to the fathers. Deuteronomy 7, 6, 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of the peoples that are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath which he swore to whom? To your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And in the following statements, Whenever Israel is punished, it is an example to be heeded by all nations. Let's hear them. Leviticus 26, 38. And you shall perish among the nations and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. Deuteronomy eight seventeen through 20. Beware lest you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as at this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them I solemnly warn you this day that you shall surely perish which is like the other nations. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Most importantly, and I would like you to listen carefully here and to refer to my rise of Scripture and also my commentary on Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, When it comes to revolting against God. Israel is literally equated with the nations strikingly in the plural. And it's never translated like that, even in the Septuagint. And he said to me, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel and I'm reading RSV to A nation of rebels, because it doesn't work. You see how even when you hear, you control your hearing, which you're not supposed to do. Who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The people also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. Okay? But again, if you hear it in Hebrew, Yomer Eli, Ben Adam Sholeh ani Otka, El bene Israel to the sons of Israel, the children, El Goim Hamoridim. We immediately eliminate the goyim as plural and read Moridim as plural by individualizing it. like a bunch of rebels, but that's not the original Hebrew and I need you to remember that. So just correct it immediately if you're driving when you get home and if you're at home immediately and don't tell me about the Septuagint and I checked the Spanish and the French. I know all that, trust me. I have Bible works and that's what I do. In the Hebrew, El unto goyim, plural. Hamurudim. Okay, so if you hear Ezekiel, it is very clear that there is no difference between the nations and Israel, and you are at the threshold of Romans 9 through 11. That's why people think highly of Paul, and I don't mind it because my name is Paul, but he's really one of the last, littlest disciples of Ezekiel. Okay, Ezekiel said it all, and I keep saying that he is the father of Scripture. For those who know Greek, let me read you, I have the Greek here, I'm sending you Proston ikon to Israel, that's correct. The house of Israel and children of Israel technically is the same. But notice, tus dasme. You don't hear even the word nation. Okay? So the plural applies to the individuals within Israel. Okay, I know I'm repeating, but that's an essential text for me. And that's for the hearer, because you hear literature, friends. You don't say, how could it be that one nation be in the plural? That's not the point. The point to your ear, that technically, when I'm going to hear what Ezekiel is going to say, whether the text applies to Israel or to the nations, is the same thing. So beware the Christians who consider that they are special in the New Testament. <laughs> doesn't make any difference. But to realize that, one has to hear it in Hebrew. And I'm thinking of a good friend of mine who keeps telling me, stop telling us on the podcast, learn Hebrew, and so on. You explain to us from the Hebrew. But the problem that you're not listening to me when I start with the Hebrew. Ah, I have my KJV and RSV. Okay? So, if you don't suffer through my podcasts, you won't understand what I'm saying. And in this particular case, you won't understand what scripture is saying, because you're reading all these so-called theological books and great scholars and so on. That very often I say. They don't know what they are talking about. Because willy-nilly, most of us, and I do this very often, I have to correct myself, we start with a premise that is in our mind. As we say, God, aren't we talking about God, Father Paul? Well, give me two minutes to tell you what I think of the matter. (laughs) You don't have a split second. You have to listen to scripture. In the following series of podcasts, I should like to defend another thesis. I came to endorse through a more in-depth study of the scriptural text. Namely, that the entire message of the scriptural story is already embedded, coded in the first creation account of Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 4. Good Father Timothy Lowe, who sent me an email after my rise of Scripture, Father Paul, you should have told me that the whole thing is in Genesis 1 through 4. I would have read only these chapters. Now, the only one I'm sure is going to be very happy with this statement is Father Timothy Lowe. But please remember, hearers, that Timothy Lowe knows Hebrew. (laughs) That's the difference. So... It's a new thesis. It does not contradict what I said in the rise of scripture, but, you know, it's something very interesting and I would like to take my time to share it with you, but then you have to be very patient because I'm going to show you, as I would say, how, notice I said embedded coded. I'm going to show you how the words that are used in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 4, controls the rest of scripture. It controls, I shall stress, how it controls one through eleven, and Genesis, but then I'm gonna show you how it controls the rest of scripture. So, give me your attention. I worked hard, now I'm relaxing in the rest of the Most High, on the sixth or seventh day that's debatable when he started his rest. <laughs> God in Genesis 1 is orthodox. He begins his day in the eve of the feast. Anyway, in order for me to make this point, I shall need to go over these verses in detail, word by word, phrase by phrase, and show how the vocabulary and phraseology are differentiated. Vocabulary is terms, word, and phraseology the way they are used because you speak in phrases and sentences chosen by the authors already looks ahead to the entire scriptural narrative in its three parts law prophets and ketubim by informing it notice my terminology embedded coded informing the rest of scripture I shall show how the nouns and verbs used in Genesis 1 1 through 2 4 and their interrelationship inform, even control, the way these hearers are to perceive them when they appear again and again in the course of the scriptural literature and the scriptural story. It is as though this passage is a lexicon. You know how in books of speciality you have a lexicon, either at the end of the book or at the end, just to make you understand that if you're reading a book about the icons written by an orthodox, it doesn't mean the icon which is on your computer. They are interrelated somehow, but I mean, you have to understand and here I bring that uh, classic example of my students reminding one another, you know, when Father Paul tells you that he loves you, well, beware. <laughs> First of all, you have to figure out what he means. Oh, Father Paul loves me. <laughs> okay? And the corollary is that it's usually not good news. So that's the way it is. In other words, the terminology of Genesis one through 2.4 acts as building blocks for the construction and thus structure of the rest of scripture. Think of Lego. The pieces are there, you can't change them. I love Lego as an example. You have to submit. You know how they tell their children, you know, if you have a square, unless it's smaller than the circle. but it's of the same size, The same you can't fit it in. But notice how I'm smart. I said, unless it is smaller than the circuit. <laughs> so you have to be very careful. Then in order to convince my hearers that such approach is a device or methodology intended by the authors... I know because people are already thinking that Father Paul is making this up because he's bored in his retirement. No, I'm not bored. I watch TV and I sleep and I walk. To convince my hearers that such approach is a device or methodology intended by the authors, I shall cover words central to the scriptural narrative which occur in Genesis 1 through 11, and are not found in Genesis 1 1 through 2 4 and show how they too are chosen as to inform and shape the rest of Scripture. In other words, not the entire vocabulary of the rest of Scripture is in Genesis 1 1 through 2-4. I didn't say that. But the vocabulary, all of it in 1 1 through 2-4, almost every word, every term, has a function. Then this is a little bit more relaxed in chapters 2, 3, 4 and more relaxed in 1 through 11. However, in these chapters we're going to find words that are not found in 1, 1 through 2, 4. So ultimately it is Genesis 1 through 11, but I thought it's important for us to submit to the structure of the text. And if scripture is informed and shaped by Genesis 1 through 11, it ought to be heard on its ground, so to speak, and thus hearkened unto and obeyed, should one choose to do so, as an authoritative, dictating text and not an open-ended text whose meaning is to be determined by each and every reader after the late fad of reader response approach, which I learned lately is used in the schools already, in the secondary school, on any text, and then we are after scripture, and submission and obedience is eliminated, whereas the apostle tells us in Romans that his gospel is the gospel of submission. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.